sure you've heard the old saying, there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. I would add that there are three certainties in life, death, taxes, and change. No matter how hard we may try to resist it, to stop it, or to ignore it, change is going to happen in our lives. Our bodies change, our families change, our job changes, our health changes, our kids change, our minds change, we, people change, we change. As someone once said, the four stages in life are lemonade, Gatorade, Medicaid, and hearing aid. We know that change is going to happen. As followers of Jesus Christ, we can embrace and rejoice in times of change. Three truths we know about change. Number one, God never changes. Our God never changes. Say that with me. God never changes. In an ever-changing world, we have a never-changing God. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James told us in James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God never changes. Our God is a faithful God. Our God is a forgiving God. Our God is a gracious God. Our God is a generous God. Our God is a holy God. Our God is a just God. Our God is a loving God. Our God is a righteous God. God is the one true almighty God. He never changes. We can trust in him. We can rely on him. We can live for him by his power at work in our lives in part because we know he never changes. The second truth is God changes us. God is at work in us, changing us to be more like Jesus. As Paul said, I'm sure of this, that he who started the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul said, for it is God who is working in you to will the work according to his good purpose. It's encouraging for us to know that God is at work in us, changing us. It's encouraging for those around us to know God is at work in us, changing us. And so we are under the, we, we know without any questions that we're under construction, that God is at work in us, changing us to be more like Jesus. I love what the late great pastor Adrian Rogers once said. He said, God doesn't change us in order to love us. God loves us in order to change us. God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us this way. You see, he wants to change us to be more and more like Jesus. And then we know the third truth is that God's change is best. It's best for us to become more like Jesus. It's best for us to have the same attitude as that of Jesus. It's best for us to love one another like Jesus. It's best for us to serve one another for Jesus. It's best for us to tell one another about Jesus. We know God's changes in us are not always easy, but they're always best. And remember, as you well know this to be the case, God doesn't always change our circumstances or others, but God changes us as we depend on him and trust in him. And then as we depend on God and trust in God, God empowers us to respond to our circumstances and to others his way. And so we truly can rejoice in God's change. The Apostle Paul knew all about God's change. In Galatians chapter 1, in verse 13, 
Paul wrote these words, for you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Here comes the change. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul embraced and rejoiced in God's change in his life. Paul said, but when God saved him by his grace through Paul's response of faith and trust in Jesus Christ, everything changed in, for, and through Paul. We too can rejoice in God's change in our lives. We can embrace God's change in our lives because his changes in us are best for us and all those he places around us. So if you haven't already, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles with me to Galatians, the New Testament book of Galatians. We're going to prepare this morning and we will actually move into chapter 2. But before we move into chapter two, I want to spend just a few moments doing a quick review of where and how we ended chapter one. So we're going to move into chapter two this morning, but let's first do a quick review of where and how we ended chapter one. As you remember, the false teachers accused Paul of not being a true, genuine apostle of God. They said Paul's message and ministry was from man, not God. Paul countered and said, my message and ministry was from God, not man. Paul traced God's work in his life from the point of his salvation to prove to these believers that he was a genuine apostle of God, that he, his message and ministry was from God and not man. You see, Paul didn't want the believers in these churches to be led away from God and the truth of God's word by these false teachers. And so Paul shared that God saved him by his grace through Paul's response of faith and trust in Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus as Paul was traveling to Damascus persecuting the church. After Paul's salvation, after God saved him, God sent Paul into Arabia and Damascus for three years so that he could go to seminary with God for those three years. After that time in seminary for three years, then Paul went up to Jerusalem for his first trip after his salvation for 15 days where Paul spent those 15 days getting to know Peter and James by having conversations with Peter and James. After those 15 days, Paul then left at Jerusalem and he went up to Syria and Cilicia. And he spent time in those regions of Syria and Cilicia ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. He preached and taught the good news of the gospel to those living in those regions of Syria and Cilicia with a special emphasis on the city of Tarsus, which was his hometown there in Cilicia. In Galatians 1, beginning in verse 21, we read, Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So the, the believers in the church in Judea, in those churches in Jerusalem and then in Judea, these believers were glorifying God because of the change God made in Paul. They were rejoicing that Paul was a former persecutor of the church, and now he was a preacher to the church. So Paul 
embraced and rejoiced in God's changes in him, and the believers in the Judean churches rejoiced in God's changes in Paul as well. Remember, we said God's changes in us are best for us and for those around us. Chapter 1 ends with Paul ministering in Syria and Cilicia. Chapter 2 begins with Paul continuing to defend his apostolic authority against the accusations from the false teachers. And it begins with Paul encouraging these believers to turn to God, trust in God, and follow God. So now let's continue our exciting study of Galatians, and we're going to move into chapter 2 this morning. Chapter 2, Paul wrote in verse 1, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. So let's stop right here. This verse is packed full of truth for our lives today. This verse, we need to look at this verse, this first verse in chapter 2 from four different perspectives. So if you're taking notes, we're going to look at four different perspectives uh, that will help us understand what Paul is sharing with us here in this verse, but it'll also help us to understand the direction God is leading Paul as he takes us through chapter 2. So this verse is foundational for our understanding of what Paul is saying and where he's going to go as we make our way through chapter 2 and beyond. So let's look at the first perspective. The first perspective is the time. The time was 14 years. He said in verse 1, then after 14 years. So the first perspective is the time. The time was 14 years. Scholars disagree with how to account for these 14 years. They disagree with how to account for these 14 years. And it can go either way. So it's not like one way is, is truth and one way is heresy. It, it's just a difference. And we're going to see this play out in this first verse. The first view, there's two basic views. The first view points to Paul's conversion. 14 years is interpreted to mean 14 years after Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. The second view points to Paul's first trip to Jerusalem. The 14 years is interpreted to mean 14 years after Paul's first trip to Jerusalem for 15 days to get to know Peter and James. The 14 years, this 14-year time period, largely consisted of Paul's ministry in Cilicia and in Syria. Both views agree with this point. Those 14 years largely consisted of that time of ministry in Syria and Cilicia. This first perspective, the time, is connected to the second perspective. So let's move right into the second perspective. The second perspective is the trip. The trip was to Jerusalem. He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. The question is not where, it's when. We know where Paul went. He went to Jerusalem. We just don't know when Paul went to Jerusalem. The question is, did Paul go to Jerusalem? Is Paul in this verse talking about his second trip to Jerusalem or his third trip to Jerusalem? 
after his salvation. Which trip is he referring to? So let's look at the three trips that Paul made uh, that we know of at this point in his journey to Jerusalem. And those journeys to Jerusalem as a follower of Jesus Christ, let's look at these three trips real quickly. We already know about the first trip. We've covered the first trip. The first trip was after seminary. The first trip to Jerusalem, Paul's first trip to Jerusalem was after seminary. Galatians 1.8.10, then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas and I stayed with him for 15 days. Paul's first trip to Jerusalem as a follower of Jesus Christ was after his three years of seminary in Arabia and Damascus when he went up to Jerusalem to hang out with Peter and James to get to know them. So we know that was his first trip. The second trip to Jerusalem was to give money. Paul's second trip to Jerusalem was to give money. So follow me. After Paul went to Jerusalem for those 15 days, we know that he went and left and went up to Syria and Cilicia. And he began ministering in Syria and Cilicia. He was preaching and teaching the good news of the gospel in Syria and Cilicia. His focus was up in that northern area in the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, the church of Jesus Christ. Back in Jerusalem, the first church in Jerusalem was growing and spreading out from Jerusalem. We know that Paul, when he was known as Saul years earlier, along with the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, they started persecuting the church in Jerusalem because they thought that that would stop the church. Instead, they realized that only spread the church. When Saul and the other Jewish religious leaders began persecuting church, putting Christians in prison, executing Christians for their faith in Jesus, they forced those Christians to leave Jerusalem. Many of the Christians had to leave Jerusalem. They were forced to leave Jerusalem because the Jewish religious leaders, Saul at that point in time, we now know as Paul, they thought the persecution forcing them out of Jerusalem would stop the church. But it only spread the church because the believers who left took their faith in Jesus Christ with them. And churches began to be planted outside of Jerusalem. And so the church was growing. While Paul's up in Syria and Cilicia ministering, the church is growing and it spread out from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. At the same time this is happening, you remember that story in the book of Acts. God had uh, a meeting with Peter, and God gave Peter a vision. God's vision for Peter connected with his vision with Cornelius. And the vision that God gave Peter was to teach Peter that salvation, a relationship with God, was now open to Jews and Gentiles by faith in Jesus because of the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so God was at work in Peter, helping Peter to understand from this point forward, Peter, listen, he's not just a God of the Jews. He's chosen people, Israelites. No, because of Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary, salvation was available to everyone. And so what we see happening is Paul's up in the northern area of Syria and Cilicia. He's doing ministry. And Peter and others, James, John, and other leaders are in Jerusalem, and the church is spreading out through Judea and Samaria and Galilee. The church actually spread out as far north as Antioch. And as the church spread out to Antioch, God was doing an amazing work in this church in Antioch. Amazing things were happening. 
God was bringing Jews to faith in Jesus and Gentiles to faith in Jesus in the church in Antioch. Amazing things. God's power at work. The church in Antioch was growing in their faith in Jesus. They were helping one another learn about Jesus. They were telling others about Jesus. It was exploding. God's power was exploding in Antioch. One of the most amazing churches in all God's word is the church in Antioch. If you ever wanted to do a study of the churches in the New Testament, study Antioch. It's an amazing church. Well, what happened was God was doing so much in Antioch that news spread all the way back to Jerusalem. And the guys in Jerusalem, Peter and James, they started hearing about what God was doing in Antioch. And so they thought, man, we need to check that out. We need to find out if this is true. So they said, hey, Barnabas, we need you to come here, man. They said, Barnabas, we need you to go to Antioch. And what we want you to do is just check it out. We want you to find out if God is really at work in this church. We want you to find out if Gentiles are actually being saved. We want you to find out what's going on. So Barnabas left, and he went to Antioch. And Luke told us in Acts chapter 11, when Barnabas got to Antioch, and he got to the church there in Antioch, he immediately recognized the grace of God at work in the church. And it said, Barnabas was glad and he encouraged the believers. So Barnabas gets to Antioch. He sees God's grace at work. He sees God's power. He sees Jews and Gentiles coming together, growing in their faith in Jesus Christ together. He sees what God's doing, and he is glad. He begins praising God. He's rejoicing in God. And then he gets these believers together, and he encourages them to stay faithful to God. He encourages them to stay true in their commitment to God. And the church there in Antioch continued to grow as Barnabas encouraged those believers. Quick side note, just a quick side note. When God is at work in a local church family, it's obvious for everyone to see. When God is at work in a local church family, there should be rejoicing because of God's work in that church family. Barnabas immediately saw it, and he began to rejoice. He was glad. And listen, when God is at work in a local church family, there's going to be some fingerprints of the Lord. Those fingerprints include joy and love and encouragement and a focus on truth, God's truth, as well as unity in the local church family. That was all happening in Antioch. And we're going to study this as we continue making our way through chapter 2. But remember, the Jews and Gentiles were enemies. They hated one another. And yet we find them now coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. I get so excited studying about the church in Antioch because I firmly believe that's a church that is very similar to what God is doing here in our church family. I believe God is at work in our church family. I, got, I believe the grace of God and the power of God is at work in our church family. Amen? I believe that with all of my heart. And I believe that there is great rejoicing in our church family because of God's work in our midst, because of all that God's doing. He gets the praise and honor and glory, not us. I also believe that the handprints, the fingerprints of God and his work when he's at work in a church are happening here. There's love and there's joy and there's encouragement. There's a focus on God's truth here in our church family, as well as unity in our family. We're growing just as this church was growing in all of these areas in Christ Jesus. It's exciting 
to read about what was happening years ago, it's exciting to understand and know that it's happening right here with us as well today. And so as you look over, turn real quick to Acts chapter 11, because I want to read this passage. What happened was Barnabas was there, and things were going so well that God uh, told Barnabas, hey, Barnabas, I need you to leave, and I want you to go to Tarshish, and I need you to go find Paul. Remember, Paul was in Syria and Cilicia ministering. Barnabas is now in Antioch. Antioch is in the northern part of Syria, so he's got a lot closer. He's moved a lot closer to where Paul would be. And so in Acts 11, beginning in verse 25, then he went to Tarsus, he being Barnabas. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to search for Saul. We know him as Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Isn't that cool? The first time anyone called anyone a Christian was happening in the church in Antioch. It's the first time. And from there, it's continued throughout the ages. So what happened? Well, Barnabas went to Antioch, and he saw what God was doing in Antioch. And so God told him, hey, I need you to go over to Tarshish. I need you to go find, I want you to go find Paul. And when you find Paul, I want you to bring him back to Antioch. And you guys are going to minister together. And so what happened was Paul and Barnabas, can you imagine what a dynamic duo? Paul and Barnabas. For a whole year, they taught, they ministered, they encouraged, they poured into this church in Antioch for an entire year. Well, Scripture tells us Agabus, uh, a prophet, predicted that a famine was going to happen throughout the Roman Empire, which actually happened under the reign of Claudius, the Roman emperor. And so when this prediction, this prophecy was uttered by Agabus, the believers in Antioch knowing about what was going on back home in Jerusalem because Barnabas had shared with them when he came to Antioch, they decided to take up an offering, a collection. So they took up a collection of money in Antioch in the church because they were doing better financially than the believers in Jerusalem were, and this famine was coming. And so they took up a collection, and they wanted to send this offering back to the elders at the church in Jerusalem so the elders in the church in Jerusalem could help meet the needs of the church family during the famine. And so they took up the collection, they took up an offering, and then when the church at Antioch looked around at one another to find out who are we going to send to take this offering back, to Jerusalem, they said, uh, Paul and Barnabas, you guys go. So Paul and Barnabas left with the offering, and they went to Jerusalem to deliver the offering to the elders in the church in Jerusalem. That was Paul's second trip to Jerusalem after his salvation. Paul's third trip to Jerusalem was to go to the council, to go to the council. So follow with me. Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem. They deliver the offering. They give the offering to the elders there in Jerusalem. And they make their way back to Antioch. So Paul and Barnabas are now back in Antioch. They've come back. They're ministering in Antioch. They're continuing to pour into the believers of the church in Antioch. And then God speaks to the believers in the church in Antioch, and he speaks to Paul and Barnabas, and he says this, hey, gang, I need you to set apart Paul and Barnabas for me because I want to send them on a missionary journey. I want to send them away, and they're going to go on a missionary journey, and they're going to start planting churches throughout the Roman Empire. 
I want to send them on this first missionary journey. And so the believers in Antioch got together. They had a service. They laid hands on Paul and Barnabas. They prayed over Paul and Barnabas. They blessed Paul and Barnabas. They encouraged them, and they sent them off. And Paul and Barnabas went off on their first missionary journey. And they went and they planted churches throughout southern Galatea. The very churches that we're talking about that Paul was writing to here in this letter of Galatians. They planted the church in Antioch and Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. At the very beginning of our study, we talked about this. They planted those churches. And then after they finished their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas came back and ended up in Antioch. They went back to Antioch because Antioch was, at this point, their home church now, their home base of ministry. When they got back to Antioch, they shared with them what God did as they planted churches. No doubt they shared how Paul was left for dead outside of Lystra. They shared all that God did on that trip, and they got some rest, and they continued to minister there in Antioch. It was shortly after this point in time that some false brothers, as Paul called them, we know them as the Judaizers from the chapter one study that we've just made our way through. Some false brothers came down from Jerusalem and they came to this church in Antioch. And wherever God's at work, you know what also is happening, right? The enemy's at work. So it didn't take the enemy long to send some false brothers. And these false brothers, the Judaizers, traveled all the way to the church in Antioch. And they began to teach at Antioch that in order for a Gentile to have a relationship with God, in order for a Gentile to be considered a Christian, they had to place their faith in Jesus, they had to become circumcised, and they had to obey the Old Testament law. They started teaching this works-based righteousness that Paul had already defended and debated in chapter 1. So they're teaching this now in Antioch. These Judaizers, these false brothers... They tried to please everyone. They tried to please the Christians because they included faith in Jesus in their teaching. They tried to please the Jews because they included circumcision, obedience to the Old Testament law in their teaching. And these false brothers, these Judaizers, didn't please the Christians, the Jews, or God. Didn't please anybody. And so Paul, understanding and knowing what was going on with the presence of these Judaizers now in Antioch, Paul, knowing and understanding after his first missionary journey and seeing all that God did as they planted churches, seeing that God was truly calling him to the Gentiles as he had called Peter to the Jews, Paul, understanding what was happening, understanding the importance of God's work going forth from this point forward, Paul decided by the power of the Holy Spirit of God living in him, Paul made the decision, God led Paul to go back to Jerusalem. And this time, Paul went back to Jerusalem, taking Barnabas with him, Titus and others. He went back to Jerusalem, and he went to meet with the leaders, the elders in the first church in Jerusalem, and what he was going to do was to once and for all decide. He wanted to get this issue settled, the issue of salvation. He wanted to get it settled once and for all. What does it mean to have a relationship with God. Basically, what he was going to ask is, let's make sure we're in agreement here. What does it mean for a Gentile to become part of the family of God? What does it look like? Because he wanted once and for all, both all that he was doing up in the 
regions of Syria and Cilicia to agree with what's going on back home in Jerusalem. He wanted these well-known leaders of the church in Jerusalem to agree with him and to make a bold declaration, a bold statement so that it could go through every church that, listen, here's what it means to be a member of God's family. One is saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. That way they could together, no matter where God had placed them, and they were a long way apart from one another, they could together defend the truth of God's word, and they could together defeat the false teachers and their false teaching. This was Paul's third trip to Jerusalem after his salvation. This trip is recorded in Acts chapter 15. It's the trip that Luke wrote about uh, the Jerusalem Council. It's known as the Jerusalem Council when this issue of salvation was decided. Those who believe, and we'll, we'll tie this together with these first two perspectives, those who believe that the 14 years started after Paul's conversion by God on the road to Damascus interpret Galatians 2, 1 through 10 as being part of Paul's second trip to Jerusalem to give the money to the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. Those who believe that the 14 years in verse 1 means 14 years after Paul's first trip to Jerusalem to get to know Peter and James, interpret Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 as happening on Paul's third trip to Jerusalem to meet with the elders and leaders of the church in Jerusalem for the Jerusalem council to once and for all get this issue of salvation settled. Both views, both groups agree to each of these three trips that Paul took to Jerusalem. They differ on which trip was Paul referring to when he said in chapter 2, verse 1, then after 14 years, I went again to Jerusalem. They just differ on that point. Now, the good news is, whatever view you take, it doesn't impact the truth of what happened. The time and trip to Jerusalem speaks to the chronology of Paul's visit, not the content in Paul's visit. It speaks to the chronology, the timing area. And we'll talk more about the truth as we get to that perspective. The third perspective, we've got the time was 14 years, the trip was to Jerusalem. The third perspective is the team. The team was Paul, Barnabas, and Titus. In verse 1, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along also. So let's look at this. Paul's traveling ministry team. Paul's Jerusalem ministry team included Barnabas. Barnabas was a dear friend of Paul. Barnabas was a co-servant, a co-laborer with Paul. Barnabas was a Jew from Cyprus. Barnabas was a Jew from Cyprus. Barnabas was actually the one who convinced Peter and James to meet with Paul during Paul's 15 days in Jerusalem because Peter and James weren't quite sure they could trust that God had really changed Paul. And so Barnabas was the one that convinced Peter and James to meet with Paul for those 15 days. 
Barnabas was an encourager. His name literally meant son of encouragement. God, Barnabas was a generous giver. Barnabas was a faithful teacher of God's word. Barnabas, Luke said, was a man full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. Barnabas said he was a good man. Luke said Barnabas was a, a good man. Barnabas went to uh, Tarshish to get Paul, to bring him back to Antioch, to teach and to minister with him in Antioch for a year. Barnabas went with Paul for his first missionary journey as he planted the churches uh, throughout Southern Galatea. Barnabas was a faithful servant of the Lord. Barnabas could be one of the easiest first-round draft picks in Paul's ministry. Could be. There's a draft coming up later this week, and everybody thinks they know who's going to be the first-round draft pick. It's a whole lot easier when you know who the first pick's going to be than when you're uncertain. Well, Paul was certain. When it comes to ministry, when it comes to traveling and all that they were going to face as they went on that missionary journey, he thought back to Barnabas. He said, hey, I, I, want, I want the encourager. I want my man Barnabas. I want him on my trip. I want him on my team. He's helpful. He's faithful. I'm going to need him. Paul's team also included Titus. Titus was an uncircumcised Gentile. So get this now. You got the picture. Barnabas, a Jew from Cyprus. Titus, an uncircumcised Gentile. Titus is the perfect example of a man who was saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. What a picture of this team traveling together to Jerusalem. Titus was one of Paul's sons in the faith. Titus was a faithful co-worker of Paul. Paul left Titus in the island of Crete there on the island of Crete. And he said, Titus, I want you to lead the churches here on the island of Crete. So Titus ministered on the island of Crete and he led the churches there. And he helped protect those churches from the false teachers and their false accusations. And so Titus was also a very easy first round pick for Paul to take with him on this journey to Jerusalem. And so we see this, ten, this, this trio teaming up together, headed to Jerusalem. Now, during the 14 years of ministry leading up to Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, we know God was at work in Syria, in Cilicia, in Antioch, and in Jerusalem. We know God was at work bringing Jews to faith in Jesus. We know God was at work bringing Gentiles to faith in Jesus. We know God was at work uh, empowering his church. We know God was at work growing his church. We know God was at work blessing his church. We know God was at work uniting his church family together in Christ Jesus. During these 14 years of ministry leading up to Galatians chapter 1, we also know that Paul had a shift in his ministry focus. Remember, there's a shift from chapter 1 to chapter 2. Paul had a shift in his ministry focus because in chapter 1, Paul was focused on being independent of James and Peter and the other leaders in the church of Jerusalem because he was wanting to prove that he himself was a genuine apostle of God, that he was taught and trained by God, not by man, and that his message and ministry was from God, not man. Now in chapter 2, we're going to see a shift where Paul now 
is shifting, and he's going to begin cooperating with Peter and James and the other leaders in the church in Jerusalem so that they can together do ministry together so that they can together help to spread the good news of the gospel and the church of Jesus Christ to all the areas that God wants it to spread and so that they can bless one another in Christ Jesus. And so we see Peter and James and John and the other elders and leaders in the church of Jerusalem teaming up with Paul and Barnabas and Titus, and they're going to come together, and they're going to have this meeting. And so we see this amazing teamwork, this amazing unity starting to happen, and even a picture of this unity in Paul's traveling team with Barnabas and with Titus, a Jew and a Gentile, coming together in this Jerusalem council to decide and to make it clear what it would require for Gentiles and Jews alike to enter into a relationship with God, which obviously, as we'll see when we make our way in verses 2 and following in Galatians chapter 2, uh, that decision is clearly in line with the Word of God. It's clearly in line with what we know today, that salvation is by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. So what a beautiful picture as we move from chapter 1 into chapter 2. So what is our application today? What's your takeaway? What's my takeaway? What's our application today? How can we use this information in ministry for ourselves, but also to the congregations that we minister to on a day-by-day basis? You have a congregation that God puts around you. I have one that he puts around me. How can we use this information to help us minister to those today and this week? Two application points. The first application point is simply this. Trust God to do his work. Trust God to do his work in you. God was at work in Paul and Barnabas and in Titus. God was at work in Peter and James and John and the other leaders in the church in Jerusalem. God was at work in the leaders in the church in Antioch. God is at work in you and me in Christ Jesus. Amen? God's at work in us in Christ Jesus. God is at work in us by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit in us. Listen, we know today that our God is the way maker. Our God is the miracle worker. Our God is the promise keeper. Our God is the light in the darkness. Our God is the almighty God who saves. Even when we don't know God is working, God is working. Even when we don't see God at work, we know God is working. And when we don't believe God is working, Working, we know God is working. God is at work in us, through us, and around us at all times. Jesus said, my father's at work, and I too am always at work. We need to trust God to do his work in us, through us, and around us on a daily basis. We can trust God because he's told us in his word that we can trust him. He's told us he's at work in us to willing to work according to his good purpose. We trust God to do his work in us as we depend on God. We trust God as we walk in obedience to the word of God. We trust God as we look to Jesus. We trust God as we focus on Jesus. We trust God as we follow after Jesus. We trust God as we think about Jesus day by day. We can trust God. He's at work in us. He's at work in you. He's at work in me. We see he's at work in Paul. We see he's at work in Barnabas. We see he's at work in Titus. And at times we look at God's word and we look at the folks he used in his word and we think, well, that's great for them, but I don't see God at work in my life. That's a lie from the pit of hell. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you know based on the authority of God's word, God's at work in your life. 
He's at work in you. Listen, God's at work in us, but we also know, as we've seen in this passage again today, when God's at work in us, we also know what? Satan is at work on us. God's at work in us by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. He saved us. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's empowering us, but we also know Satan's at work on us. He's lying and he's tempting and he's trying to discourage and divide us from God and from one another. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to grow weary in our walk with the Lord. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to grow weary in ministering for the Lord. That's why we must trust in the Lord with all our heart. We must lean not on our own understandings. We must think about God in all our ways so that he can make our path straight. We must trust in the Lord. And as we trust in the Lord, we are reminded that greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. As we trust in God, we're reminded that God's grace is sufficient for us and his power is perfected in our weakness. As we trust in the Lord, we are reminded that our Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those of us whose walk is blameless. As we trust in the Lord, we're reminded the name of the Lord is a strong tower. We, the righteous, can run to him and find safety. As we trust in the Lord, we are reminded that we will mount up on wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not be faint. As we trust in the Lord, we are reminded that we are overcomers in Christ Jesus, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. As we trust in the Lord, we are reminded that we are victors in Christ Jesus. We are reminded that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. We are reminded that we are new, that our wives are new, that our husbands are new, that our children are new, that our families are new, that our marriages are new. We're reminded that God is at work in us, that God's at work in our families, that God's at work in our marriages, that God's at work in our jobs, that God's at work in us, through us, and around us, that God's at work in our relationships. And we are reminded that God is worthy of all we are and all we have. And therefore, we trust in him to do his work. No matter what it may look like on the outside, no matter what others may be saying to you from outside, no matter what or who may be coming against us, we know our almighty God is for us, and we know he's with us. He promises he'll never leave us, fail us, forget us, or forsake us. And so why would we ever choose not to trust in the name of the Lord our God? Let's trust in him. Let's trust in him. Each day, let's trust in him throughout the day. We know, we know the Christian life is not the easy life. We understood this when we receive God's gift of salvation by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. This belief in Christ Jesus doesn't mean everything is just going to be smooth sailing for us from that point forward. I'm sorry if you thought that, believe that, been taught that, but I encourage you in the love according to the truth of God's word that, that that's simply not true. We see that wasn't true in the lives of these that we look in the scriptures, the men and women, the trials, the tribulations they face. We see it in the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet, what would we see with these in scriptures? They continue to trust in God. God wants us today, once again, to trust him to do his work in us. He's at work. He's at work. Trust him. 
trust him. When you think this relationship will never change, it'll change. When you think this person may never change, God's at work. He's at work. And one of the most amazing blessings in life each day is getting up and going through the day and just being amazed at what God does. Being amazed at how he speaks. How he lets us know how much he loves us. How much he cares for us. He's at work. He's at work. He's at work. The second application point, this is important. This is important for you and for me. We need to team up with one another in God's work. We trust God to do his work, but we must team up with one another in God's work. Paul teamed up with Barnabas and with Titus and with Peter and with James and with John and the other leaders in the church in Jerusalem. He teamed up to travel to Jerusalem so that they could do ministry together, so that they could seek the Lord together, so that they could be encouraged by one another, so that they could come to an agreement with one another, so that they could understand the word of God together. Why? So that they could do ministry together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We are stronger together with one another than we are apart from one another. Teaming up with one another encourages us for God's work. Teaming up with one another keeps us focused on God's work. Teaming up with one another helps us endure in God's work. Because there will be points in time when one of us is weary, when one of us is struggling, when one of us wants to throw in the towel, when the circumstances of our life are overwhelming and we lose sight of the power of God. We believe in him, but we begin to lose sight of his power at work in our lives. And it's in that moment in time that it is so important for a brother or a sister in Christ Jesus to be able to be there, to come by and to encourage and to lift you up and to pray with you and to pray for you and to speak God's truth into you. It's important. That's why we need to team with one another so that we can communicate with one another. We need to be focusing in within these conversations that we have with one another. Talked about conversations last week. Talk about conversations again next Sunday as we get into the rest of this passage. Listen, as we have conversations with our husbands and wives, as we have conversations with our kids, as we have conversations with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, it's great to find out what's going on. It's great to check in with one another, but we also need in those moments to have in those conversations, times especially in those conversations that are with those who are closest to us. Hey, listen, what's God doing? How is God at work in your life? How can I help you? Is there anything you need? Are you struggling? What's going on? We need to have those conversations so that we can team with one another and help one another to do God's work together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. You see, teaming up in ministry together is a blessing for you, for me, for those around us. God blesses our unity in Jesus. God grows and deepens our unity in Jesus as we team up in his work. But God also uses our unity in Jesus to draw others to Jesus as we team up together. So let's trust God again today, fresh and new. Let's trust God to do his work in our lives. And let's take steps today and this week to be intentional. Let's be relational and let's team with one another 
in God's work. Through God's strength, for God's glory. He's worthy. Amen? He's worthy of all we are and all we have. Let's bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead in this time of response. Lord, I want to...